This morning, as we talk about the resurrection and celebrate the one event that rocked the entire world, you, gotta, you have to understand, there, there was an earthquake and the clouds closed up the sky and it became dark at noon and stayed that way till three. And that earthquake shook things loose and people's minds came unglued. But what's important about the celebration of this weekend is so significant that we reset time to market. I know that in our culture today where everybody's trying to, to do away with A.D. and B.C. as if it's some kind of a, a horrible thing. But I'm telling you, it's a great thing. We reset time to mark the event of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. We reset time. I don't know if that makes sense to you. That's a big deal. We globally decided that time was going to be marked from this event. That's how significant this event is. Around our world, Christians this weekend, yet beginning yesterday, started the celebration of the crucifixion Burial and resurrection of Jesus. That, that celebration will continue on to tomorrow. As people celebrate the raising of Jesus on that first day of the week. But this day is so significant. That the day we accept it as our own. It resets time. One of my friends used to be a drug dealer. I met him after he was done dealing drugs. He's a pastor now. And he accounts his life. B.C. A.D. When I see pictures of him, he looked like the zigzag man, and he, he had the beard and the hair and the whole deal going for him. People said, you know, you kind of look like Jesus, but he wasn't acting like Jesus. In his B.C. days, he may have looked like him, but he wasn't much like him. And then he met Jesus. And he reset time. He reset his life. Jesus wiped away. All the things that had happened before. And reset time. And gave him new birth. And a fresh start. That's what this is about. That's what we celebrate. That's what we do here. Welcome. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. We've been talking about leading a God-directed life. This morning I want, to, I want to talk about the one who set the path forward for us. The one who marked the path. The one who broke the path. Who opened it up for us to make those steps. You see, Jesus didn't just come on a Friday and go back on a Sunday. He came, he lived the life, he walked on the earth, and he set a path for us. He set a course toward home. Through the tomb. On toward home. This, this map was laid out, this plan was made long, long before 
the event. First Peter chapter 1 tells us that we were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, who was chosen before the creation of the world. The, the line was drawn, the path was set, the direction was made, the end was in sight before there was a beginning. Before we entered the planet and invited sin, there was a plan. And the plan was Jesus. And Jesus is alive. Jesus set a course from the, before the foundations of the earth. It was headed for the cross. He told the disciples in Matthew chapter 17, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. Are there any questions about whether Jesus knew what was coming? No, he knew exactly what was coming. He's telling the disciples, he's instructing and preparing them, so that when it comes, they won't be disrupted. They won't, be, they won't totally be lost. They will have something to cling to. And after the resurrection, they'll remember the words that he said, and they'll be lifted back to faith. This is happening. This is coming. He said in John chapter 10 to them, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. Some people have said we should be angry at the Romans or angry at the Jews. In fact, there was a, there was a whole era in history when people regularly took it out on the Jewish nation that they had crucified Jesus. They didn't crucify Jesus. The Romans and the Jews were the implements, but Jesus laid down his life himself. Jesus made this choice. He made this plan. And in his foreknowledge, knew exactly how it was going to come out. Before the foundations of the earth. You got a compass today. Did you get, did you get a compass? I was, I was trying to get one of these to work. I got two of them. They kind of point in the same direction. Glad I'm not trying to get home by these. But we gave you this compass for a reason. To just remind you that Jesus set a course heading for us. Jesus set a course heading. Now, if you've ever been out in the woods when you couldn't see the sun, you couldn't see anything around you, a compass was a very good thing to have. When you're stuck in the trees and you don't know exactly which direction is which direction or it's night, a compass is a great thing to have. We live in a darkened planet where we really have a difficulty maintaining our bearings. And so Jesus set a course heading for us. If you've ever been out in the ocean when... The clouds roll in and you can't see the sun and you just hope that it's still there where you were before. You're really relying on that course heading. Because it's what keeps you off the rocks. It's what keeps you safe and keeps you alive. Jesus set a course heading for us. He chose a direction and he's leading in that direction. The God-directed life has a direction to it. It was a direction laid for us by Jesus. He picked a direction for us. He, he set a north. You know, do you know why a compass works? 
because north is always there. A compass works because north doesn't move. You can, you can find, yourself, find your direction because you, can, you know where north is. And once you know where north is, you can figure out where south and west and east and north and northwest and southeast are. Jesus set a true point for us. He set a due north, a real north, so that we could set our lives to that compass, so that we could adjust our path against what we knew was true and set ourselves in a direction prepared for and laid ahead of us by him. Jesus made a way for us. And yet when we get to this week, when we see Jesus walking through these days, he seems to be having a hard time, doesn't he? He told the disciples it was coming. They laid the plan down before the foundations of the earth. He knew exactly where he was. In fact, he's the one who put the point on the compass that said that's the way you should go. So why the struggle? What's he battling with? Why is there a problem at all? Why is Jesus having difficulty? It was clear that the course would lead him to Gethsemane. It was clear that he would one night end up in that garden before he was to die. Meeting the Father. So why does he ask to get out of this? He fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And yet, not my will, not as I will, but your will be done. Why the struggle? If he knew it was coming... If he, if, he, if he plotted the course, if he's the one who set this thing in motion, why the struggle? What's he battling? He knew it was going to lead to the cross. He told the disciples, I will be crucified. And in three days I will raise. If, if he knew both the crucifixion and the resurrection were true, what's bugging him? Why is it that he's on the cross and at noon darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon and Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's the deal? There's a controversy that's been going on about Jesus since the beginning of his presence here. Since the very first time people started talking about him. How are you both God and man? How is he 100% human and 100% divine? How is he both of those things at one time all the time? Is it even possible? Is it even true? Does Jesus have to believe? Does Jesus have to have faith? Or am I doing that all by myself? Is that just something we had to discover? Is that something that only those who have, of us who have fallen have to deal with? Jesus has an, an advantage. We have a disadvantage. His advantage is that he didn't have to have faith. Our disadvantage is that we do. Is, 
the struggle that's going on at, in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the cross, is a struggle between the reality that Jesus knows and the reality that Jesus feels. It's a struggle between the reality that Jesus believes in and the reality that Jesus is experiencing. It's a struggle between the battle of the flesh and the knowledge of the Spirit. It's a battle for faith in one he knows is faithful. It's a very human battle. It's yours and it's mine. And we can argue about the nature of Christ at that moment. Did he have the nature of man after the fall? Did he have the nature of man before the fall? And I think it's a dumb argument. We don't know, so why should we argue? You know what I think we should think? I think we should realize is that he's struggling. He's battling. He's dealing with this thing. Why? Because a veil had dropped between him and his father. He knew it was coming in Gethsemane. He knew in Gethsemane that there would be a division between him and the father that had never been experienced before. In all of eternity past, there had never been a separation in the Godhead. And he knew that it was coming. And the pain of that possibility drove him to request some other way. Some other possibility. Some other process. The veil that separated man and God because of mercy against sin. Because our sin caused us to need to be separated from God so that we would not be destroyed. Because our sin placed us on the wrong side of these things. And that sin could not dwell in the presence of a holy God. He had to separate himself from us. He had to draw a veil between us. He had to protect us from our sin and its certain destruction in his presence. And when Jesus hung on the cross, that veil dropped and he felt separated from the Father for the first time in all eternity. Some of you have been married a few years. I've met folks sometimes who tell me that they've never been separated for more than a weekend in their whole lives. I think, wow. And then something will happen and they'll be apart for a week and, or, or even sometimes just that weekend and they'll say, man, I, I miss her. Or, man, I miss him. It's, it's, it's like a part of me is gone. Imagine if that were true all the way back through eternity and all the way back from the beginning of the beginning of the beginning before there was a beginning, all the way back into eternity. There'd never been any separation. All of a sudden on that day, on that cross, as Christ became sin for us, the veil dropped between him and the Father. As he took on our sin, the one who knew no sin became sinful for us. He had to be separated from God. He had to be separated from the presence of God or be destroyed by the same presence that had been his comfort, his care, and his greatest love in his entire existence. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why have you let the, the veil close on me? I didn't realize this separation was going to be quite this painful. And his heart broke. We've, we've, we've probably all read those, those depictions, those stories of the crucifixion. People telling us about the, 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 the trial of it, the trauma of it, the pain of it. And they, they explain how hard it would be to hang on the cross and how you would have to pull yourselves on the nails that, was, that were placed usually in your wrists against the, the power of your own, own diaphragm so that you might lift yourself to gain enough space in your lungs to breathe. And how the nails in your hands and your feet were just a, an added torture so that you could lift yourself up and breathe. And every breath you took, you felt that pain, you felt that anguish and until you were just too weak to do it anymore. And you collapsed and succumbed, unable to breathe, struggling and gasping for those last breaths. But Jesus didn't die that way. It was, what, it was the intention. It was the intention of the Romans. It was the intentions of the crucifier. It was the way it was supposed to work. But he didn't die that way. When they came to end his life, he was already dead. He didn't die of the wounds of the crucifixion or the process of the crucifixion, as gruesome and as hard and as harsh as it was. He died because of the separation between himself and the Father. He died of the convulsive pain of a heart breaking from that eternal difference. Something we take so lightly to be separated from God killed him. So why did he stay up there? He could have gotten down. He could have quit. He stayed. Why did he stay? If it was that hard, what motivated him to go through with it? If he, if he admitted he wanted to do something else, if he admitted that he didn't want to go through with this, why did he go through with it? If you've heard the story, you probably know. But I want you to know how it works. He saw you and I by faith. He saw the possibilities on the other side of the cross, on the other side of that darkened veil, by faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. On one side of the veil, Jesus by faith could see beyond it. By faith, by faith, by his understanding of God and who he, who, what he believed about God and how much he trusted God. By faith, Jesus reached beyond the veil and stayed on the cross. By faith, Jesus saw beyond the veil and stayed on the cross. By faith, Jesus looked into your eyes and mine and he stayed on the cross. 
by faith he looked down to the future and said, this is where that I'll stay. He said, the, the people I love will all come home. If I stay, I'll stay. My children have an opportunity to choose life. If I stay, I'll stay. He, he had read Isaiah 53. He knew what was coming. Surely he took our pain and bore our sufferings. Yet we considered him punished, him, him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for, crushed for our iniquities. He read it. He knew it was coming. He embraced it. He said, for the opportunity that it provides for my children, I'll stay. I'll stay. He read Psalm 22. He knew what Psalm 22 said. He knew that it said, you have forsaken me. He knew that it said he would be pierced. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. But you have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. I believe I will be resurrected. I believe I will get past this darkness. I believe that I will once again see eternity. I believe that I will sit down next to my father. I'll stay. I'll stay. I'll stay. He could have called those 10,000 angels. He could have gotten down at any point. There's no way they crucify him without his cooperation. But he chooses it. And he sticks with it because he sees you, because he sees me, because he sees the opportunity that it is providing for the salvation of the world. He sees it as the only way to end sin, the only way to close the door on this horrible chapter in the universe's history. And he says, I'll stay. I'll stay. I'll stay. By faith, Jesus reached beyond the veil, claimed a future that was not yet, because he believed in a father who held the future and said, I'm staying. I'm staying right here. All the way to the end. So today, The cross is vacant and the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. On the other side of that veil, none of this was true for him. None of this was clear to him. He accepted it because he had read the scriptures. He accepted it because he had talked with the Father. He accepted it because he believed in the authority of heaven and earth and he trusted in the God whom he knew. He did not understand it completely as a human. He couldn't have. But he chose to accept it by faith. And stay on the cross. Walk through the tomb. And sit down at the right hand of majesty. The cross is empty. And so is the tomb. And the throne has its rightful occupant because he stayed. Yeah, it's, it's okay. You can clap because that's worth celebrating. He set the course for home and got home. He set the course for home and got home. If you know home is that way, just keep going that way.
stay the course. Keep moving toward Jesus. Keep walking in the direction he set forward. Pick up your compass and figure out where north is once in a while so you know you're still on track. But stay the course. Stay as Jesus stayed and end where Jesus lives. He closed the door, leaving the weirdest marker in the history of religion. You see, religions are about glorifying deities. All religions glorify deities. Christianity has this weird final marker, this strange end of story marker. Mile marker number one on the way home is a cross. Mile marker number one on the way home for the believer is an instrument of torture. Mile marker number one for the believer is a cross. It's like the electric chair being mile marker number one. Or a hangman's noose being mile marker number one. For Christianity, mile marker number one is a cross. And you know what he says to his followers? (laughs) He says, when you get to mile marker number one, pick up your cross and follow the skid marks home. Just keep walking and you'll see them. I dragged mine through there. I've made a path. It'll be easy for you to follow. Follow all those, those drag marks. You'll see them. You'll see the drag marks where I walked. You'll see the drag marks where I fell. You'll see the drag marks where I bled. You'll see the drag marks. Just keep following them. You'll find your way home. Just, just grab your own and follow me all the way home. It won't always be easy. Sometimes it'll be hard. That thing's going to get heavy. But that thing, if you hang on to it, if you stay faithful to it, it'll see you home. When Jesus was a little boy, he sat with his mom and dad, and they read stories, and they read prophecies, and they saw Daniel talking about the Messiah coming, and they saw Isaiah talking about the suffering servant, and they saw Jeremiah promising a resurrection, and he saw himself. Through the pages of the book. And when he stood to face his final days, it was the knowledge of God that he himself had to learn that kept him going. And it was the promise of our faith that made him stay.
There's a place that marks the beginning of our walk. It's bloodstained. It's tortured. But it's the highest throne in heaven and the most important marker of our faith that embattled, scarred, empty cross. Before this service ends today, we're going to sing together. As we sing together, I just pray that it's not just words, but that it's an expression of your willingness to stay the course. Let's pray. Father, we bow our heads to you. We choose to stay the course. Jesus did we're going to need a lot of help because our our weaknesses get hold of us and we don't want to always keep following I pray for faith I pray for a knowledge of the word experience with you makes us stick through the difficult moments and hard times. As we sing together, Lord, please let these be words of conviction to us, expressions of our heart, statements of faith. In Jesus' name.